We started last week in the book of 1 Thessalonians, right? And we started our series, which we are talking about being, um, living a life defined by the gospel. And we spent last week asking like five questions as to what it means to live a life defined by the gospel. I'm just going to say the questions out loud, especially for those of you that weren't here. Um, the questions that we asked were, uh, do others thank God for you? Do others see your works of faith? Do they see your labor of love? Do they see uh, a hope in you? And do they see that you are chosen, right? So those are the questions when we talked about gospel definition, defining your life based on the gospel. But today, we're going to continue asking questions, right? Like this whole first chapter is going to be us asking questions of application. Things that I want you asking yourself. Um, and last week was on, is my life defined by the gospel? But this week's message is on gospel effectiveness, right? Are you effective for the work of the gospel? Is the gospel effective in your life and effective in the lives of those around you? So I'm calling this message like questions continued or something like that, just because this whole first chapter, that's what we're doing. We're finishing out the first chapter tonight. I know we're, we're going to move quick through this book, right? Ten weeks, five chapters, pretty much two weeks every chapter. Um, but we're finishing out chapter one today. Um, before I forget, I'm still working on getting last week's message into the online stratosphere of things, right? So we actually have it up on a podcast site now. I will send that link later this week, but eventually, hopefully, fingers crossed this week, it'll be up on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and then we'll have a website that you can actually watch this too. So if you miss out from week to week or you want to catch the first week, you can go on and catch that. Obviously, life gets a little crazy with things going on, so it's a good way to, to stay connected. But anyway, besides that, last week, gospel definition. This week, gospel effectiveness. So let's like dive right into it. Head into 1 Thessalonians. We're going to start um, in verse 5. If you remember last week, I went halfway through verse 5, so I'm going to start at the second half. 1 Thessalonians 1, 5. After talking about how the word came to them in power and full conviction, Paul says, you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction, with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols uh, to serve the living and true God. You turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Father, speak through your word tonight. Speak to our hearts. As we gather together, Lord, help us keep our eyes on the text Help us keep our eyes on what you have for us tonight. Lord, I ask that these questions be questions that impact our hearts and not just our actions. And Lord, would you help us remember these questions as we go through this? 
however that is, whether we're writing it down or writing it in our Bibles or um, coming back to watch this later, Father, may these questions um, truly do your work in our lives. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. All right. So the first place we look when evaluating our influence on others, right? I said we're talking about gospel effectiveness, our influence on others. The first place that we need to look is the people that have influence over us. I'm going to read verse 5 and 6 again just to show you what I'm talking about. He says, You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. He's talking about they were, they were men of character. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So question one tonight when you're evaluating your effectiveness is who do I imitate? So we talked last week about how the Thessalonians were the real deal. They were um, the group of people that the Apostle Paul called his joy. He called them his glory, right? He called the Thessalonians his crown. They were Paul's joy and glory. And we talked about uh, why that was such a big deal for Paul to say those things. And here, in this part of the passage, we get to see how they became the real deal. Right? We get to see how they became truly effective for the work of the gospel. We see that they were effective because they, one, imitated Paul, and two, imitated Christ. That's what he says in the text. You became imitators of us, meaning Paul and his company that was traveling and ministering the gospel. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. So if you want to actually be effective for the gospel, I have to sneeze. This is bad. I'm like trying to hold it in. Okay. All right. Whew. Dang. It's been a week, guys. All right. So uh, if you want to be effective for the gospel, um, you need to imitate those two things. So what does it mean to imitate Paul? It would mean to follow his teaching. It would mean to literally like sit under his teaching, learn how he acted, learn how he thought, learn how he spoke. I mean, Paul's a, a complicated individual, and you can see for quite a while um, just the, the complexity of how you could just sit under Paul. But what's the reason that we can imitate Paul? We can imitate Paul because he is imitating Christ. I mean, he, he says it all the time. I said this last week, right? Paul constantly says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And what he's saying is, in order to truly be an effective person in somebody's life, in order to truly be effective in the gospel and have people imitate you, you must imitate Christ. Because apart from imitating Christ, you are not worth imitating. So, I want to make it very clear, though. I'm not saying that in order to be effective for the gospel, in order to preach the gospel or, or minister the gospel to others, I am not saying that you have to be perfect. Right? I am not saying that you have to be Christ 
in order to be effective. I'm saying you need to imitate Christ. You need to strive to be like Christ. Paul himself was not a perfect man, but he uh, strived so hard and followed his heart after Christ. And that is the reason he was so effective in the gospel. So I want to make that so clear tonight. I am not commanding you to be perfect. And Paul is not commanding you to be perfect. So don't let that thought hinder your effectiveness of the gospel. So back to the first question, right, on, on effectiveness. Like, who do you imitate? That's this first main point. Because effective imitators of Christ are ones that are worth imitating. So, like, how do you, how do you begin imitating Christ? That, that's, that's where we really need to get to it, right? Because if you want to be effective and you're asking the question, who am I imitating? I hope the answer is Christ. Or I hope your answer is, I want to imitate Christ. How do you begin imitating him? I mean, it can start with the Sunday school answers. It can start with um, what we would expect. Follow Christ. Be like him. Act like him. Do what he does. But I want to dive in just even deeper to that. Like, how do you actually do it? Look Look at verse six again, because Paul gives the answer. He says, for you, speaking to the Thessalonians, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So even though the Thessalonians were suffering affliction, right, even though hard times were hitting them, even though they had uh, plenty of trouble in their life, right, plenty of things that the world was throwing at them, the scripture doesn't say what it was, but Paul calls it affliction, and, and Paul went through some affliction himself, so if he's going to say affliction, he means it, right? So even though the Thessalonians were going through those things, what did they do? They received the word, and how did they receive it? They received it with joy. If you want to be effective, if you want to truly imitate Christ, you start by receiving the word of God. Like taking it into your life, welcoming the word of God into you, no matter what circumstances are going on, no matter what is afflicting you, your imitation of Christ starts with you receiving the word into your life. Like, are your parents getting divorced? Then you need to say, Lord, help me receive your word. Are your friends betraying you, or do you feel like you are losing relationship after relationship? Ask the Lord. Lord, help me receive your word. Like, if life just generally sucks some days, and you're not in a great mood, you're not in the mood to open up the word, you're not in the mood to sit here and have me shout at you for 25 minutes, you ask, Lord, Help me receive your word because that's the foundation of how you start imitating Christ is that you receive it. But there's a stipulation on here, right? I said you receive it, but how did they receive it? They received it with joy. So that's a major part of the text here. And I want you to note 
this is not a joy that you manufacture. This is not a joy that you create. Uh, I mean, someone say it. Where does the joy come from in this text? It says the joy from what? Holy Spirit. Does it say the joy from you? Does it say the joy from things that are going on in your life? Does it say joy from the things that have happened in your life or what you hope will happen in your life? No, it doesn't say that that's where joy comes from in your life. It says that when you receive the word, you receive it from the joy of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God that dwells in you. The Spirit of God that is there to help you, there to convict you, there to encourage you. I mean, Scripture says that it's the Spirit of God that allows you to understand Scripture in the first place, to understand who God is. It says that the Spirit is the one who knows the mind of the Lord and is the Spirit that speaks those things to us. And I want you to see that that's like a super comforting thing. That no matter where you're at in life, whether good or bad, that no matter what's going on, you don't have to muster the energy to joyfully receive the word. You don't have to come up with that. Because the joy comes from the Holy Spirit. So we're back again. Lord, help me receive your word and help me receive it joyfully. Help me to do that. Give me the joy, God. Scripture says, you have not because you ask not. How many of you sincerely ask that you would receive the word in joy? Oftentimes, and I'm guilty of this 99% of the time, I just like, I open up the word and I start reading. I sit down at church. Maybe there's a worship song. Depends on what era of COVID we're living in. And then all of a sudden, Pastor Rob's preaching, right? And I just, I just let it come at me. I don't even consider, Lord, help me receive this. Give me joy to receive this. So that, that's the first part of gospel effectiveness, right? We got three questions we're getting through. So that was the first one. Who do I imitate? And I want to say that that is the most important one. So like in my, in my like manuscript things here, I highlight some things green. And, and when I highlight things green, um, that means it's like literally the most important thing I have to tell you tonight. So I try to take time on it. So what I want to say to you tonight is that this first question, who do you imitate, is the most important one. Because the next two questions, we're going to be talking about actions, okay? We're going to be talking about how you act. And those are all things you can change no matter what your heart is. Those are all things you can change no matter what you're feeling. And, and it's good to change those things. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is if you don't hear me now, if you don't get me now when I say your heart matters more, then you've missed the point of the message. So that's like my little commercial break to say, please, if you're going to take anything home, take the heart change home about who you're imitating and what you receive and who you look at way more than what you're doing and what other people see and what other people look at. Because that's what we're heading to now. All right? So with that said, let's break into the second of our third 
Second of our three questions. Question two, what example do I set? So if question one is who do I imitate when you're basing your gospel effectiveness, question two would be what example do I set? And, and I see that in verse seven. If you look back at it with me, he says to them, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. So we need not say anything. So Paul says to the Thessalonians that they became an example to all the believers. Like specifically, he mentions the ones in Macedonia and Achaia. And like just to give you an idea, I'm not going to like pull up a map with a laser pointer or anything here, but just to give you an idea, like that region of Macedonia and Achaia, that's like Iowa times like one and a half, right? So it's 150% of Iowa. So we're talking a large amount of land mass in which um, there are multiple, multiple major cities in there. And also we're talking about like no cars, no cell phones, right? So Paul is saying that everybody in that region has an example to look towards, and that example is the Thessalonians. But Paul's not, I mean, he's not like literally talking like, oh, we crossed the border of Macedonia, and therefore you're not an example to them anymore. That's, that's not what he's actually saying. What he's saying is that the Thessalonians are an example to the church at large, to the people around them, to the greater country. For us, that would be like we are an example to those in Davenport and to those in the Quad Cities and those in Scott County and Rock Island County and, you know, all the, all the way the Quad Cities interact with each other and, and so on and so forth, right? That's, that's what Paul is getting at, is that they are an example to the world at large. He even says that the word of the Lord sounded forth from them. Now, other translations say, like, the word of God rang out. And I, I, but I love, personally, I love the phrasing sounded forth, right? Like, the ESV is like our church's translation. It's what we use a lot. And I'm not going to lie. Sometimes it sounds a little archaic. Sometimes it sounds like Yoda speaking to you. There are times I'm like, I just need to read another translation. But honestly, it is such a good translation if you want to do a really deep dive on what things mean. If you want to trust the word that you're really like splicing apart. And, and that's sort of what I wanted to do with this word sounded forth, right? Because I liked how it sounded, but I wanted to make sure that like it's a good translation. And I told you guys last week that a lot of times I'll like dive into the Greek when I can. Right? I'll like dive into just like one specific word because I want to bring clarity. I want to be like so clear that what I'm saying to you is accurate to what Paul is saying to them. And so when I like went into this, I was a little worried that sounded forth wouldn't be as cool in the Greek, right? That like the ESV just decided to get a little poetic about it. But I, ha happily, I was proven wrong because the translation, like the, the actual Greek word here means to sound forth. That is the literal translation. It means to sound forth or to like give vent to or to send on. It means more than just like a sound. And I want you to see that difference. Like Paul didn't say that the word of God just sort of sounded from them. 
right? He didn't say that the word of God is just being heard from them. He said that it sounded forth, meaning it had purpose. It had a mission. It had weight to it. So if you guys stick around here for long enough, um, and those that really know me, you're going to find out I'm a pretty big nerd, okay? You're going to find out that I like some really nerdy things. Calvin's like nodding because he has to put up with a lot of it when we work together. Um, and you're going to find out sometimes I use some really weird illustrations. So this one, I couldn't think of a better one, so this is the one I'm using, okay? So deal with it. Um, so, Lord of the Rings, right? How many of you have seen Lord of the Rings, at least? Let me know who I'm connecting with a little bit. Okay, how many of you have a general idea of what Lord of the Rings is like? Okay, so just give you a heads up. If you want to better understand some of my illustrations, it may not be a bad idea every so often to watch Lord of the Rings because I will use it some often. But I, I promise, this one's really good and it's the only one that I could think of in the moment because uh, I don't watch too many movies nowadays. Um, but anyway, so Lord of the Rings, lots of movies, lots of battles, right? Like that's one of the big things. There's a lot of war that goes on there and like the whole culture is like steeped in battle, right? Like the, they live in a time of battle, all the characters do. And one of the, one of the things that's like memorable about the war scenes is like, you know, the like, the like, oh no moment that happens where like everything seems to be going one way and then it shifts. Well, in Lord of the Rings, a lot of times when that happens, there's like a battle and there's noise, right? There's like clashing armor, there's men screaming, there's grunting, there's uh, people dying, there's stomping, you know, all these loud sounds. And then out of nowhere, a battle horn goes off and everyone goes silent, and you see people turn, and they all direct their attention on one specific thing. Why is that? It's because whatever sounded forth has purpose to it. It has a meaning to it that they can see. And what it says to them is that they are about to enter a different kind of reality in a moment, or that a new reality is coming to them. It instills fear in them. For some of them, it instills hope. But the idea is that it wasn't just a sound. It was something sounding forth. It was a purpose. It was a call. That's what it means to sound forth. And so when Paul says that the word of God sounded forth in them, he's saying it sounded with a purpose. The word of God sounded to those around them over the noise, over the chaos, with a statement, with a new reality that they found themselves in. They wanted to let people know just how important what was coming. So just like the Thessalonians who sounded above all the other noise in the world, right? We're talking like the noise, like idols and philosophies and other religions and politics and whatever pleasures were in the world, like that word sounded forth, rang over all of that. The word of God rang over all of that. It was an example, right? They were an example to others. And that's, that's why our second question is, what example do I set? Because that's one of the ways I want you evaluating it. So if, if you want to get into, like, what example do I set? You can ask yourself, like, does the word of God sound forth from me? 
like in your life, to those around you, do you present that the Word of God has a purpose? Do they hear it differently than they hear all the other noise in the world? And just like that battle horn I talked about, sometimes they hear that and they don't have a good response. And sometimes they hear it and they do. But the point is they have a response to it. And I want you to evaluate in your life if the word of God sounds forth from you. Does it leave your mouth on a mission? Does it leave your mouth on a purpose? When it comes to being effective for the gospel, that matters. So the second part of this verse, it flows right from this first part. Okay, so Paul says that the word of God sounded forth from them, and then he goes on right away, like hand in hand, and says that their faith in God had gone forth everywhere. It wasn't just the truth that people heard through the lives of the Thessalonians. It was also the truth that people saw. They didn't just hear the word of God. They saw the word of God in action through the faith of the Thessalonians. They were living out their faith in such a way that people saw it. I mean, even the Apostle Paul right here says that their faith preceded them so much. He heard so much about their faith that he was left speechless. He says, I have, we have nothing else to say because everybody has already said it for us. Everybody has already said what you are doing, and it's awesome. We see that the word of God is playing out in your life, and you are being an example. So that's the second thing you could ask yourself, right? If, you, if you're really trying to get on board with this second question of what example do I set, um, you can ask, like, does my faith precede me? Are there people that know I'm a believer before I ever open my mouth? Are there people that know what I believe before I ever have a conversation with them? It's an effective way to evaluate what kind of example you're setting. I mean, I'm sure some of you can, you can think back to a time in your life when you start having a conversation with somebody and they're acting different and they're like trying to hide certain things about their life and you have no idea why and then you realize at some point they already know you're a Christian. They already know you're a believer. And that sets the whole tone of the relationship, right? So does your faith precede you? Like, do people know that about you before you ever have to speak of it? And to follow Paul's example, like, does your faith leave no doubt in other Christians? Because, I mean, Paul said, I'm, I'm left speechless. How many of you were here, do you remember Pastor Garth preaching like just a few weeks ago? Anybody remember Pastor Garth preaching? Um, I mean, it was a great message. If you get a chance, go watch it. Um, I love hearing him preach. One of the things he mentioned was that like he does a lot of funerals for our church, right? And he uh, interacts with a lot of people from different walks of life. And the question he always asks, especially if he doesn't know the person that died or the family members, he asks, were they a Christian? And if the family members hesitate, Garth already knows the answer. Like, if they have to stop and think about it, it's a pretty good chance that they weren't living the life in the first place, right? I'm speaking in generalizations here. But 
Why is that? Why is it that that would be a truth? It's because as believers, our faith should precede us. There should, be, there should be no doubt in other people's minds as to whether or not we're, certainly Christians, right? Like, I would pray that as we get to know each other more and more, there would be no doubt in your mind that the people next to you are believers. And the people next to you love Jesus like you do. And I, I would pray that in your life, your family members know that you're believers, and there's now no doubt in their mind of what the answer would be if you had passed away and the pastor said, did they know Jesus? I, I would pray the answer would be yes right away. As a side note, I can't help but think of Frozen when Olaf pops his head up and says, you hesitated. Anybody know what I'm talking about? No? Okay, maybe it's just because I'm a dad, but that was like my exact thought there. I could not get it out of my head. So anyway, do you exude God to those around you, right? Whether it be by what you say or what they see. That's, that's the second point. Uh, what example do I set? And third one, we're going to move just a little bit quicker here. Third one is taken uh, directly from verse 9. And the question is, what do people say about me? Or if you want to get in the SV, what do people report about me? What do, pe what do people have to say? Second question was, what example do I set? But the third is, what do people say about me? So let's read verse 9, and I'm, we're just going to break down the three things that they said about the Thessalonians. And I want you to just sort of look upon those in your own life, okay? Verse 9 says, For they themselves, talking about everyone around them, report concerning us the, here's the first one, kind of reception we had among you. And, here's the second one, how you, the Thessalonians, turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. So let's break down each one of those real quick. If we're asking the questions, what do people report about me? Let's look at what they reported about the Thessalonians, right? They're the example that we're hoping to follow throughout the next 10 weeks. This is the example we want to see. And so the first thing is that they reported to them the kind reception that was received. How do you receive people in your life? Are you kind? Are you loving? Are you open? It's sort of becoming a thing right now, right? Like I just saw a guy wear a t-shirt yesterday that said, I love Jesus, but I don't love people. And have you guys seen some of those memes and stuff before? It's like, I don't like people. That's like a, a, a big thing that's happening now, especially. Um, someone here last week, as we were talking, was like, yeah, I hate people, right? It's, it's a thought now, and it's a thought we have to struggle with, but the reality is that's not a thought that we are allowed to let live in our lives. Do you receive others in love and kindness as Jesus received others in love and kindness? That's what was reported about the Thessalonians. That's what Paul appreciated about them. That's what he praised about them. And I know that that's going to hit hard for some of you, because it hits hard for me. But it's a truth that we need to hear. So, how do you receive people? The second one talks about how they turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. So, the question is, what do they say about you? Well, do they, do they talk about your testimony? 
do people around you know your testimony? Do people around you know that you have turned from idols to worship the one true living God? And look what it says. It says that they turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Like they serve Him. Continuously. Your testimony did not stop when you accepted that Christ was your Lord and Savior. Your testimony did not stop when you finally understood that He died for your sins and asked Him for forgiveness. That's where your testimony starts. But it is continuous. It keeps on going. You are constantly turning from idols. I mean, we make idols, as men and women, as mankind, we make idols by hand every day. If you don't know what I'm talking about, like, just open up any uh, store's website right now and look at the advertisements that are already starting to hit for, like, Black Friday and stuff, right? Like, this year... Xbox and Sony and Nintendo, they're all coming out with new video game consoles. Not that video games are necessarily wrong, right? I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is video games can be easy idols if we let them be. But just a really quick example that by hand we make idols all the time. And we love things more than God all the time. So we are constantly turning away from idols to serve the one true living God. So my question to you is, if you're being effective in the gospel, is do others see that in you? Do they see that you are turning away from the everyday idols that are coming out and turning to God? Because it's, it's a consistent and constant thing. So that's the second one, how you turn to God from idols. And the third one, you may not pick up on it right away, but is when he says that they turned to wait for his son from heaven. That's hope. That's what he's talking about. He's saying that others reported the hope that the Thessalonians had in Christ's return and who he was. This verse right here is the reason that we're going to end again with living hope. We sang it last week and we're going to sing it again because one of the main themes of Thessalonians is the idea of Christ returning is the idea of what Christ did for us. The fact that Christ is our living hope should never falter. So do others see that, right? Would they report that about you? Man, that person is crazy. They're talking about Jesus coming back, right? Like on a cloud, like in person. I mean, you got to admit, it sounds a little crazy sometimes, right, guys? Right. How many of you know the song, Days of Elijah? These are the days. Behold, he comes riding on the clouds, right? Like, it sounds crazy to think that there will be a physical return of Christ. But that's the hope that we have, is that someday all this struggle and the need for me to talk at you like this for 25 minutes, all that's going to be gone. And that... You'll just be with Christ, and you won't have to be burdened by this anymore. All right, so that's, that's like chapter one, okay? I know I hit you hard right off the bat, the first chapter. It's like, come on, question, 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 because I want you evaluating your life. 
if you can evaluate your life and get to an honest place in this first chapter, man, you're setting yourself up for some great things in the next four chapters. We're going to talk about discipleship. We're going to talk about motivations. We're going to talk about end times. Like, there's so many things we get to talk about, but it all starts with your true heart, and all starts with your motivation, and how you love Christ, and who he is. And understanding that what we're looking at is the Thessalonians who are an example, right? So I'm going to pray for us. We're going to sing, and then we'll spend some time. We'll break into groups. We'll talk about um, just these questions and, and life in general, and I'll be walking around getting you guys added to group me and stuff like that. But let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that we can learn from it. Uh, Father, challenge us. I ask that you challenge us in a way that breaks our hearts. Lord, that we truly would see you as our living hope. Lord, I know that these questions, they're not the most obvious. I know that they are not just the easiest to remember. They're, they're not alliteration. They're not some fancy, super simple, branded way of knowing what uh, was said here. But Lord, they're true questions. They're questions that matter. They're questions that we can see in your word. And they're questions that can change our lives. So Lord, I ask that you change our lives through those questions as we strive to answer them and to change the answer to some of them. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.